0: Hi, I'm Jennifer Z, and welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy podcast. Here's what you can expect from listening to Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy. My true passion is all about helping educate you, the listener, on food, fitness, and wellness. I educate through my own story and experiences on a multitude of topics, including inflammatory conditions, women's health, plant based nutrition, fitness, and mindfulness. It's designed to teach you how you can become your most powerful self every single day. From interviews with today's top health, fitness, wellness, and spiritual experts, this podcast is a fun and happy atmosphere. So sit back and enjoy some of the amazing interviews that I have with experts and people who have completely transformed their lives through plant-based nutrition, fitness, and wellness. And if you love this podcast and would love to see it grow with even more incredible episodes, you now have the opportunity to support the Jennifer Z podcast by visiting jenniferz.com forward slash podcast. That's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-Z-E-E dot com forward slash P O D C A S T. This helps me amp up the podcast. Finding more incredible guests while increasing the number of episodes being published. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. Welcome to the Jennifer Z. Plant-Based and Happy Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Hillary Webster. She's a naturopathic doctor who practices in Toronto, Canada, with a focus on women's hormonal health. She helps burned out and exhausted women uncover and repair their hormone and nutrient imbalances to get their world-conquering energy back. After undergoing her own health struggles and feeling frustrated when people told her that her hormone issues were quote unquote all in her head, Dr. Hillary embarked on a journey to find a better answer for herself. Today, she is a self-proclaimed hormone advocate who helps find better answers for her patients. Dr. Hillary, welcome to the Jennifer Z Plant Based and Happy podcast. Thank you for having me, Jennifer Z. I'm so excited to share some information about health with you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So, I wanted to cover off a few things, but first off, I wanted to start with your journey. So, can you share with us your story of becoming a naturopathic doctor? Yeah,
1: I am one of those people who who underwent some health struggles themselves before going um, going into naturopathic medicine. So I was really young when I started getting sick. And what happened at the time was I was in the best shape of my life. I was going into graduate school and I was um, I was racing triathlons and I was working, you know, a physical summer job and I felt really tired and I, you know, I went to my doctor going, I'm tired. This is weird because I feel like I've r- just run a race, like run a half marathon or whatever. And except I'm not recovering, you know, with enough sleep or hydration or a, a good eating. And uh, cause I was eating pretty well at the time. And you know, she did her tests and it we came up, you know, it was low iron. So I took some iron and my iron got better. I wasn't iron deficient, but I was still tired. And so I went from doctor to doctor, from test to test. I saw a neuromuscular specialist. I saw an internal medicine specialist. I got a second opinion from a GP. We had echocardiograms done, chest x-rays done, stress tests done. However many um, blood tests that you can count or think of, I did them and everything came up normal. And it was the worst because everyone was kind of looking at me going, everything's normal. There's no reason for you to be this tired. We think it's depression. You need to go see a shrink or, and, or, you know, you might need to go on antidepressants. And that really scared me because I was kept telling people, I'm not tired because I'm sad. I'm sad because I'm tired. And to (laughs) me, that was a really important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of got me that lit a fire under my butt all the while i was sleeping you know 10 11 12 13 hours trying to nap in between and as soon as i got out of bed i felt like i needed to nap again i had brain fog that was so fierce and you you don't know what brain fog is until you've had it Mm -hmm. Um, you know where you just can't find the next word and I, i was getting weird aches and pains and my periods were starting to disappear And I thought, this isn't right. Something is going on. This is totally a 180 to what my body is used to. And I did wind up going to see a psychiatrist to go kind of prove everybody wrong. I wanted to march in there and tell everybody how I wasn't depressed and I was completely well adjusted and everything was fine. And it was actually the psychiatrist who taught me about the mind-body connection which was pretty amazing. I was floored. Yeah. She, she, you know, talked to me and talked about a little bit about my personal history and my emotional baggage and my family history and my parents' divorce and having a, you know, a parent with a substance use or disorder. And, you know, she looked at me and she said, well, you've been carrying around all of that stuff for so long. I said, yeah. She goes, well, isn't that exhausting? And Mm -hmm. that shut me up for a few seconds, you know, I I was like, that's incredible. And so I dug and dug and dug more into natural medicine and trying to get to the root of everything and over the next few years finally someone would diagnose me i can't remember if it was the naturopath first or an endocrinologist first or my family doctor first but we kind of fell into this diagnosis of polycystic ovarian syndrome which affects a lot of women and it was affecting me and one of the ways it was affecting me was that it made me tired Now, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome has a lot to do with hormonal imbalances. And I, at that time, I was looking for better answers. I'd always wanted to do medicine. I applied to naturopathic college and there we were all the while working on myself. And so that's how I got to being a naturopathic doctor because I didn't get good enough answers, and I searched for better answers for my own health, and now it is my career and my calling and my mission to provide better answers for others, particularly women who are struggling with their hormones in some way, which is why you and I get along so well.
0: Absolutely. I think that there are so many women out there who are told, and I was told this as well before my diagnosis with endometriosis, is it's all in your head. Yeah.
1: Go home. It's all in your head. Everything's normal. We can't see anything on imaging or blood work, so you don't have it. And I've had people in my office where I flo- I was the first person to float out there. Maybe it's endometriosis because you know, you don't have appendicitis or you don't really have any fibroids or any other issues. You're totally right. It sucks. And, but we need people like you and I out there to be talking to people and make sure that they know that there is someone to listen to them.
0: Absolutely. And you touched a little bit on the root cause. I feel like right now there are so many options out there for masking symptoms, Mm. but not a lot of people, I mean, there's people like you, but there's not a lot of people who are seeking out the root cause. How essential do you feel that that is just finding the root cause as opposed to taking a pill for this and taking a pill for that? And then all of that just compounds. Well, I'll give
1: you a really good example of this. So if you do have polycystic ovarian syndrome, you might have trouble getting pregnant because that's one of the hallmarks of PCOS is infertility. You know, you might try and try and try and your periods might be irregular anyway. You might have trouble conceiving. And one of because there's a blood sugar component to PCOS, a lot of doctors will say, you know, lose weight. And that's great. And if it's not successful, like if that's not enough for you to conceive, they might look at some medications that force you to ovulate or that control your your blood sugar. And uh, so those medications, you can kind of see that they're forcing the body to do something that's not really what it's ready to do. And so those people often have a higher rate of miscarriage if they're not healthy enough, to, you know, to support the rest of that pregnancy. And we also found when they use certain blood sugar-lowering medications that I probably shouldn't name here, so I won't, um, but when they use certain blood sugar-lowering medications that are really popularly used in PCOS, that can actually predispose the offspring or the babies who are born to have blood sugar-related issues, like maybe diabetes or maybe PCOS themselves when they grow up. So we know that this is something that's at least a genetic component, but it seems as if uh, pharmaceutical control of these symptoms seems to predispose um, future generations to more issues. So that's a really interesting, if that doesn't make it important to at least work on the root cause, I don't know what does. I will need to say something. I know I'm going, I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but I think it's really important to also know that I'm not saying you shouldn't take pharmaceutical drugs. I am not anti-drug and I think they have a strong place, but I really, what I'm calling for is integration. You should be working on your diet. You should be you know, working on some supplements. You should be working on lifestyle, exercise, meditation, all of the things that I know you advocate for really strongly uh, mm-hmm. yourself, Jen. I think that that's really, that's the way medicine should be. Unfortunately, we're not quite there yet, but we see it trending towards that, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that it would be nice when if all professionals could work cohesively, mm. Uh, that would that would be beautiful. So, in terms of hormones, what types of tests do you think are important to have done? It really depends on
1: what your complaint is. Right. So, I have patients. I'm talking about PCOS a lot because that's my story, and it lends itself to a really it lends itself to a lot of examples today. So, this might accidentally be the PCOS episode. But if you want me to talk <laughs> more about endo and stuff, I'd be happy to. Um, hormones. So. Well, I'll I'll say this about endo. Um, there's, uh, you probably have talked a little bit about estrogen dominance or having too much estrogen in the system and how yeah. that can make periods absolutely outrageously horrible, mm-hmm. um, and that's responsible for a lot of uh, your bad period symptoms. And there is, so that is something to test. Now that might not be the case for every woman. It might not be, you know, you can have endometriosis and you might not have estrogen dominance or too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Um, So a lot of it depends for PCOS. It depends on what your goals are. If your goals are to conceive, then we're looking at um, the hormones that control Uh, follicle development and stimulation and the release. So we're looking at FSH and LH and those hormones come from the brain. We may, we're also of course looking at estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, we're looking at insulin, and we're looking at stress hormones, so and thyroid as well, because that's a huge cause of um, of miscarriage or inability to conceive is hidden thyroid issues. So I test a ton of hormones. What I what I will say as well is this: what I've seen in my practice is that I'll try to I'll try to just do one thing, like let's test sex hormones. You know, your estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, etc., and then. Um, for some patients, I'll say, "Well, let's test your thyroid hormones." When really we have to do both, and there's different ways we can test them. And I talk to my patients about that. But um, if we estrogen and progesterone—they all talk to your thyroid, and vice versa. And everything's affected by stress hormones. So I kind of like to test them all to get a really good picture of what's going on, because I can make a lot of connections for my patients as to what happened, what's happening, because everybody's yeah. body on stress is a little bit different. Correct. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so, and and it's all, and it plays in also to, you know, before I was diagnosed with endometriosis, I went misdiagnosed with things like IBS and stuff like that. Mm. I find, you know, the the symptoms are, are the same. So yeah. until you really pinpoint exactly what's going on, I mean, I, I had, at one point, I had Crohn's, I had IBS, I had, you know, God knows what else, <sighs> but... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was fun, fun. Um, let's talk a little bit about PMS symptoms, um, because I know that a lot of our listeners out there suffer from PMS. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about PMDD as well, but PMS. How can we prevent or at least lessen the severity of our period each month? Like, what are the what are the things that we can do either leading up to our periods? Because I feel like that's an important time, or throughout the months, that will help reduce some of the symptoms.
1: Yes. Okay. So we can't get into really big specifics, because of it, or really specific specifics, mm-hmm. if that's a thing, because everybody's different, um, and so that's the beauty of what I do, and it, why I spend so ta- so much time working with my patients. PMS is. what I want to say about PMS is that it's so common and just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal or healthy. And that's what a lot of women misunderstand. Um, and it's really unfortunate that, you know, everybody wants to get, um, you know, every, everybody wants to just go on, on hormones to figure that out or birth control to figure that out. Um, severity of them. So It looks a little bit different for everybody, but I think one of the biggest things is to love your liver. Um, Liver needs a lot of tender loving care in order to process your hormones. I have figured this out. I I like to give patients as many tips as possible lifestyle wise. I know for me, because my liver needs, again, also needs a lot of love is that if I drink caffeine, um, my periods will be worse that month. Month, I get cramps. And I know everybody's absolutely in love with their coffee, but I also tell people this. One, caffeine has a longer half-life than we think. It takes a while to leave the system. If you have coffee, you know, if you have two coffees a day and you're not sleeping, you need to rethink your coffee habit, even if you think it's just in the morning. But what I tell patients about caffeine is that it competes with the same pathways in your liver as estrogen does. And so when coffee's clogging up the pathway, your estrogen can't get in the system or get out of the system rather, because it's constantly being upcycled. So Another thing, so, you know, liver health, lots of foods that are really helpful for the liver, everything from beets to bitter greens, brassica vegetables, so your cruciferous vegetables, your broccoli and your Brussels sprouts and your kale are actually a wonderful source of nutrients that can help your liver. And I'm sure you've talked about this kind of stuff a lot. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Even castor oil packs, please do not take castor oil internally. But, um, (laughs) slapping some castor oil on your liver is something that I counsel my patients to do. Also heads up ladies. I really find when I do it, that it helps me to maintain a healthier weight a little bit easier because if you got, mm -hmm, yeah, I know (laughs) it's helpful because if anything motivates people, man, it's, it's like dropping a few pounds. Um, so so that so the biggest thing for bloating is just to make sure you don't have too much estrogen or progesterone in your system um, and making sure you're eliminating enough because estrogen gets cycled out through your bowel movements. So I always talk about poop to my patients and it's like, I feel like I'm the poop lady sometimes and that's all I know how to talk about. And I only get invited to parties once because that's all I know how to talk about. <laughs> But those are my biggest things, like remove some of the stuff, like focus on the liver, remove some of the stuff that's going to irritate the liver, like caffeine and alcohol, um, eat lots of liver-loving veggies and castor oil packs, and of course, stress reduction, because in Chinese medicine, being angry and frustrated
0: negatively affects your liver. So there you go. Yeah, that's amazing. That's a great tip for the bloating too. Because I know, I know that every woman is different, but I feel like the general consensus of what I get from a lot of women out there who do suffer from PMS, the bloating is like the number one, bloating and headache. And um, (laughs) so anything to reduce bloating. So let's, let's talk a little bit now about PMDD. Yep. So I've, I have suffered from PMDD in the past Mm -hmm. And for the listeners out there who don't know what it means, it stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which to me is like PMS on steroids. Yes. So the typical treatment for this is an antidepressant. Um, But let's say that there's someone out there who, or or say someone like me who has PMDD but doesn't want to go on an antidepressant. Are there alternatives to taking antidepressants? What I will also say. Is this gets diagnosed? Wh- depression
1: often gets misdiagnosed as a thyroid issue, or re- vice versa. Sorry, thyroid issues often get misdiagnosed as depression. Right, even if it is cyclical. Again, what I said before that the sex hormones and the thyroid are always talking to each other please get your thyroid checked by someone who's going to do the full panel and Mm -hmm. someone who's familiar with what we call subclinical hypothyroidism. Meaning, yeah, some of your levels might be normal, but you're on the low end of normal and that's causing hypothyroid symptoms, especially if you're tired, especially if you're constipated, maybe your hair is falling out and you're depressed and maybe you have muscle cramps, these are all wonderful reasons for thyroid, to look into your thyroid. Um, the other thing that I would say, especially for mood, is there are a lot of nutrients that are really important, that also help the liver, of course, but are really important for um, serotonin production and neurotransmitter production. So those are your brain chemicals and when you don't have enough nutrients to make those those are going to go out of balance and you're not going to feel you know mentally on top of your game so i yeah i have suffered from this uh recently and it was a huge call for me to take care of myself um so my favorite nutrient and i won't give dosages again because everyone's different would be Mm -hmm. magnesium Um, magnesium is good for over 350 reactions in the body, it is crucial for them. So there is some research that can really um, that that supports using magnesium for a lot of menstrual complaints. And I think this would be an excellent indication because I know people whose antidepressants actually work better when we make sure they get enough magnesium.
0: Now I know so, that yeah. there are there are different types of magnesium. What's the oh. back- because literally if you look at the magnesium uh shelf yeah in any health food store there's like 12 different types maybe not 12 but yeah. there's a there's a lot so can you can you share with us the best the best one for let's say pms or just yeah for
1: for absorbability because you can do use magnesium for different yes you're right you sometimes the type of magnesium is important for your complaint. So for people with low energy, for example, I say magnesium malate might be a better option because it's Bound to malic acid, and malic right. acid is really important for your energy cycle. Um, for a lot of women, you know, my standard standard recommendation would be magnesium bisglycinate, which means it's stuck to sugar to sugar molecules. Now that's not going to raise your blood sugar. It just it's a way that it's easily absorbed into into the body. It will not give you loose stools because magnesium oxide we use um, if somebody is constipated, for example. <laughs> Uh, And it just happens to be better absorbed. So I like magnesium glycinate or they call it magnesium bisglycinate. It just, it's got two sugar molecules stuck to it. And that's really all you need to know. And it just tends to be the gentlest on the tummy and the, and a really good one that's absorbed quite well if we're talking about really getting into the nervous system, then magnesium three and eight or NeuroMag, I think they call it is, um, is also really helpful. And I've helped, um, people who've had concussions, uh, with that one. So that's a little bit of a primer on different types of magnesium. Right. It's my
0: favorite mineral, like by far. I, I, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I feel like there's a lot of, different types out there and so thank you for clarifying that because i know that there are some listeners who are like yeah magnesium but there's not just one
1: yes you're that's so smart going out and buying magnesium oxide is going to give you the poops um so if that's not what you want please don't get that one
0: amazing thank you for clarifying that (laughs) yeah uh so so one of the things that was suggested to me in the past to help balance out my hormones is a seed cycle yes Um, can you explain this to our listeners and to me because I'm still I'm still not educated enough about it what's involved with it and what are some of the benefits of doing this
1: I will say this um, it is there's like no sign nobody has gone out there and done a randomized double blind control you know control trial on seed cycling which is Mm -hmm. kind of a bummer but Oh my gosh, sometimes it actually, it works wonders to get things back in balance. So seed cycling is uh, the first half of your site. If you want to regularize things, sometimes if you want to tune up your... tune up your hormones, you know, get the help to excrete that extra estrogen or build up some progesterone or vice versa, really. Um, it's a very balancing activity to do. In the first half of your cycle, if you are cycling regularly, if not, you kind of make some adjustments accordingly and you work with a provider to do so. Um, you're doing... You're doing pumpkin seed and flax seed, and they're ground, and you're doing, I don't know, a couple tablespoons of that probably every day into your system for the first half of your cycle, days 1 to 14. 15 to 28, you're doing sesame and sunflower, and those are ground up too. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea is this is supposed to, the first half is to encourage estrogen, and it's all that building, that luteal phase. or sorry, the follicular phase right. of your of your menstrual cycle, where everything's building, and then you want to transition to that next phase, the progesterone phase, where progesterone is rising. You've ovulated, everything's kind of working its way out, um, and that is the luteal phase. And you, you know, that's kind of the do or die um, scenario where an egg is either fertilized or not. And then, you know, everything gets evacuated when you menstruate. (laughs) And, uh, so the idea is it's supposed to balance things out. A lot of those seeds, um, Flax in particular, if it's too tough to do the whole seed cycle, I just tell my patients to do flax seeds themselves um, just on their own uh, because a lot of these are phytoestrogenic, meaning they're plant estrogens, meaning they actually bind to our estrogen receptors. Now, for ladies with high risk of breast cancer or other hormone-sensitive cancers, um, that's a big caveat, right? That's a big buyer beware. But if if you don't have hormone-sensitive cancers or a high risk for them, meaning you have a first-degree relative with breast cancer or cervical cancer, or ovarian cancer, you know, that's kind of a good go ahead. I find they work seed cycling or even flax seeds themselves. Actually, there's evidence that it is beneficial for PCOS and uh, wonderful for hot flashes. You got to give it a few weeks to kick in, but it's really gentle. I, there's a funny story in there about how my mom um, experimented a little bit with them. And she would always tell me when she, she like knows she's not taking her flax seeds when she's getting hot flashes again. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> I thought it was cute. She's like my first guinea pig. If I ever want to try something for like a postmenopausal lady, I'll, I'm like, here, mom, you need to take this. Um, that is amazing. I love it. She's a good sport. I've got some great stories, but yeah, that's the basics of the seed cycle. You're supporting, you know, the first half, the building phase, and then the last half, which is kind of either the waning or the building phase. Um, but it's, it's supposed to just support the normal balance. There's no evidence for it, but it can clinically, we found that it can be, it can be effective and there is evidence for flax seeds.
0: So that's my coolest notes on that. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, Okay. So let's talk a little bit about menopause then (laughs) (laughs) because I know that a lot of women have, it's it's different for every woman. You know, my mother went through a really bad experience with menopause, whereas my aunt was totally fine and their sisters. Um, What are some of the things that women who are entering menopause can do to lessen typical symptoms what okay menopause what what women going through menopause need to
1: know Mm -hmm. is the um, amazing options that there are available you can do things as gentle as food i talked i just you know gave a wonderful example about flax seeds there also are there are also a lot of studies on soy uh soy protein and soy products again big caveat if you if there's any risk of horm- hormone-sensitive cancers in your family. Um, but for a lot of women, soy is also another good option. So you can do a lot of things with food, and I know that's your zone of genius, so I won't belabor that point, point. <laughs> um, and like taking care of yourself. And it's like, okay, well, maybe, and I've worked with some of my patients on this, just maybe that bottle of wine you're polishing off every weekend is not doing you any favors for your hot flashes, What I do want to tell women is we need to support your stress system too. So those poor little adrenal glands that have taken a beating over the years, you know, when you're stressed out, like we need Mm -hmm. to, we need to treat those as well. And uh, a lot of it depends on your experience of menopause. So if you're experiencing depression or anxiety, you know, we have things for that that can help you know, even out, um, some stuff that is evidence-based, there is evidence for it. If it is hot flashes, um, I, there are some herbs that are great for that. Um, anything from vitex to, uh, black cohosh to dong quai and everything in between. And again, that's a personal discussion with a healthcare provider who's literate in this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, all the way up to bioidentical hormone replacement which is something i do in my practice we which is shown to be a lot safer than conventional hormone replacement therapy because we test and we balance and we assess of course any uh, risk factors that might uh, throw some complications into the mix but it's generally safer gentler and can I mean, if we want to talk about vaginas, we can talk about vaginal dryness. My patients absolutely love topical estriology female hormone. It's one of your estrogens. Uh, Topically for vaginal dryness, it's beautiful, but that's by prescription only. Again, we need to go through a full workup before you do that. But man, I work with a lot of women where we just have to do some gentle hormone replacement and it works beautifully if it's monitored and prescribed properly. And we always just start low and go slow. So what I want women to know is that don't be scared. There's lots of options. I'm going back to my poor mom again. Heads up, Mama Webby. Um, <laughs> poor thing. Uh, she, By hearing her friends' experiences, she was absolutely terrified going into menopause because her friends would just... Complain and complain about how awful their symptoms were, but you got to do something about it. And there are things you can do that don't have to be conventional hormone replacement therapy, but everything in between.
0: Right. Yeah. And like you said, everyone is different. And, you know, I mean, I could sit here and say that I'm petrified to go through menopause because my mother had such a bad experience, but. Yeah. I know with, and I love how you said to start slow because, you know, for me, when I got diagnosed with endometriosis, I decided that I wasn't going to right away start with a synthetic hormone or one of the suggestions was, one of the uh, recommendations was to get pregnant so that I yeah. would have a nine month break, but then the endo was going to come back, which was ludicrous to me. Yes. Um. And then another one was pain meds and uh pill prescribed, uh, prescribed for reducing the symptoms of endo. And I just thought, this is, this is mostly, I mean, I know that um, some say that it's an estrogen dominance, but for me, I thought, okay, well, this is a lot of inflammation, an inflammatory condition. So why the heck am I going to start with taking all of these medications when I can start with anti-inflammatory food to start? And see how that, and see what happens. I set the bar very low. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to cut out all the crap and start eating whole food. And I'm going to do that for a week and see what happens. And then I started feeling okay. Two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to go through a full menstrual cycle because what was happening to me before is every time I got my period, I was in the hospital with excruciating pain, diarrhea, like throwing up all this disgusting stuff was happening to me the day I got my period. So I start, I started with diet. First month, got my period, didn't end up in the hospital. Second month, got my period, didn't end up in the hospital. I was like, well, maybe this is a fluke. So Hmm. almost a year later, I started realizing it's not a fluke. It was just, I started out slowly and I tried the first thing, which was, not going on some type of medication and it worked for me. It may not work for everyone, but it worked for me. And I love that you said starting off slow because some people tend to, and it's not because of, it's, it's not because of them. It's usually because of what's suggested to them where it's like, no, you need to take this or it's your, your endosymptoms aren't going to go away or you need to do this or this isn't going to work. Isn't that incredible though
1: how much you were just able to do with food there's a couple of things that you said that were so important and one of them one like one of them is just the role of food alone in that anything i recommend to my patients supplement wise because most of the time people are people are looking for answers and the answers are often in food supplements work 10 times better when there's an amazing diet plan to go with it so it's a huge part and you can't get around it there's just no getting around eating well unfortunately like trust me i've tried or uh, trust me my patients have tried you know like we've all but you just you feel good when you eat well um and the other part is that I like, like, but you can always, yes, we start low and go slow, but there's always, you know, I want to make sure that people know that what I do isn't an alternative. It is, it's complementary and integrative. So if you are on antidepressants, like that's okay. Yes. If you, Like that's cool. We'll work with that, you know. If you are on birth control, that's cool. We'll work with that too. If that's the best thing for you, for your endometriosis, that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know, like that. That all of that is okay. I don't want people to be afraid of medications. I want them to make informed decisions, which is so
0: important. I agree with that too. A, A lot of the clients who I coach, you know, that they may not be on a certain diet that I'm on, and they may have chosen to go on birth control pill, uh, the pill for their endometriosis symptoms. But exactly with what you were saying, I try to complement that where it's like, okay, but nobody ever complained about getting healthier. Huh. Right? <laughs> that's a great point. I like mean- Oh, what do
1: I do i feel I feel so good, oh my gosh, I'm eating these vegetables, and I feel great, like oh gosh, you know well, like. and
0: i I mean I, when I set the bar low with changing my diet at first, it was a little bit difficult because I didn't know what to eat i didn't I couldn't eat out at restaurants, I didn't know how to order certain food mm. and but i I never looked back and thought, you know what that was horrendous that I ate well for the last let's say a month in that last month, you know like I, yeah I had all these side effects I had no side effects. The only thing that happened to me was before I figured it all out and how to prep meals properly and stuff like that was I went a little bit hungry for a while well,
1: yeah, and look, if you find that it's not you know quite doing it for you or doing enough, that fish and chip shop is still going to be around the corner if you really re- like people I think i we could do an entire other episode and you probably might I don't know um, about a lot of the emotional the emotion the emotional baggage around food I'm very interested and passionate about that
0: oh my gosh dr. Hillary part two (laughs)
1: Ah, and you I mean I know that you work with people on this like I know that that's something you do um and because it's so important because a lot of people are afraid of foods I do food sensitivity tests on people and then they become afraid of these foods and they say no this is information it's not it's not meant to be panic inducing and so sometimes we need to sometimes we really need to counsel people through this going like yeah you're making these changes but I don't want you to fear these foods they're just a food that's not great for you right now but that's okay like if you accidentally eat something you're not going to explode you're going to be fine yeah. it's yeah. just like we we all need to we need to do things with a little more ease i think we we fight a lot we fight a lot of this stuff and and really sometimes we just need to be a little bit more relaxed and understanding about it i'm not uh, here to be a militant about it
0: agreed and that's what i try to instill in my clients is progress over perfection Yes. Because what happens is they get to a certain spot and they're like, oh my God, I have to be very militant about what I'm doing. And it's like, you'll drive yourself nuts if you do that. Yeah. So final question for you. I could, I could literally keep you here all day, but I won't. (laughs) I'm sure you have better things to do. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, yes and no. I love chatting. That's for sure. All right. So if you could go back in time and tell young Hillary that she is going to become a naturopathic doctor in the future what do you think young Hillary would say to you she would say what's that <laughs> <laughs> um but in
1: more seriously um I was interested in do in pursuing medicine from a really young age I was the kid who was watching open heart surgeries on the learning channel before it became TLC and was John and K plus plus eight or what or like You know, I didn't know I was pregnant, but when it actually had educational material and shows on there, sorry, TLC, but that's the, that's the truth right now. But, um, so I was interested in medicine at a young age. I thought medicine meant curing people. I thought it meant healing people. That's what I thought it meant. When I actually had to take heartburn medication for a long time, because I was getting heartburn, of course, this was way before naturopathic medicine um, entered my life and di- and I understood the role that diet had to do with my you know acid reflux and uh, so I was taking medication for it, and I just thought that eventually I would have to stop because it would go away, and then you know i I, I just kind of thought like taking medicine would heal you um, really it's that's not what it's doing. It's just lowering your stomach acid in the case of the, the heartburn medication. And I was like, oh, and that was my biggest thing. So if in all seriousness, if I were to tell my young self what an naturopathic doctor was and that I would be doing it, she would say, oh, that's what I thought medicine was in the first place. Right. Yeah, which Amazing. is really kind of interesting. Like, because um, this to me is medicine it's drugless medicine but it is and like conventional medicine is really amazing medicine but it's working
0: a lot on disease whereas I'm working a lot on health absolutely yeah yeah and that's the important part well thank you so much for coming on my
1: pleasure it was a blast as you can tell I can talk about this stuff all day but when it's your life's purpose you know and kind of takes up a lot of your time
0: Hey, girl, I get you. So we're yeah. going to do part two soon. <laughs> uh, I, it would be my pleasure. Amazing. The best way to spread the word about the amazing benefits of healthy living through plant-based food, fitness, and wellness is to share it with your friends and family. You can do this in person or through the various social media platforms out there. I'm so thankful for each and every like, share, and comment. And if you're looking for more food, fitness, and wellness inspos, please visit the jenniferz.com website. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the Jennifer Z community. And until next time, stay happy, healthy, and plant-based.